So this morning, um, I'm going to talk to you about a, a controversial subject, which uh, I love doing. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, when I was younger in the faith, I used to get, like, agitated on certain topics. And I'd like to argue with people and show them that I was right and they were wrong. And I would win. And now it's like, I don't care what you believe. Love the Lord. Live a godly life. Everything else is, like, really secondary, third, tertiary. You know, of course I care what you believe. I'm a pastor. But really, arguing about our different perspectives on different doctrines is not always a good idea. So I'm going to share with you my perspective on a controversial topic, and I just want you to know you have my permission to disagree with me and be wrong. <laughs> so, and the reason I'm doing this topic this morning is because, you know, we've been going through the Bible together, and we're in John chapter 6, if you've been reading with, along with us. And in there are some of those verses that I wanted to, to draw on this morning. So I'm going to answer the question... Can a person get saved and then unsaved? Can a person lose their salvation? I mean, what about a person who, who walks with God and then abandons their faith altogether? Or, or somebody who, who says they walk with God and you see them every Sunday here at church, but at home they're just living like the devil. You know, what do we do with people like that? And how about us? You know, maybe we're not living like the devil. Maybe we haven't abandoned the faith, but, you know, are, are, we, are we all right with, with Jesus? Has he got our back? Or if, you know, what if we, we commit some sin right before we die? Are we going to hell? Are we safe in the arms of Jesus? That's the question I'm going to ask, answer for you this morning. And we're going to start off in John chapter 6, verse 37, and then I'm going to skip a verse and go through 39 through 40. Here's what Jesus said. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Three verses, there's at least five things in these three verses that I think we need to know. First, everybody God chooses will come to Jesus. He says that straight up. Listen, John 6, 37. All the Father gives me will come to me. Now, another controversial topic jumps up in that verse. Steve, are you a Calvinist? Or are you an Arminian well, I can't hit two controversial topics in one service. But let's just say that's not our topic this morning. We're not going to deal with that. I do just briefly, though, believe that the Bible says quite clearly that God predestines people. And the Bible says quite clearly that we have a choice as to whether or not we're going to walk with God. You work out the details. <laughs> First one, everyone God chooses will come to Jesus. Second one. Jesus will not reject anyone that comes to him. Verse 37 also. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Third thing in those three verses. Those who come to Jesus will be kept safe in his arms until the last day. Verses 39 through 40. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is the shepherd, right? And Jesus says, all the sheep you give me, I'm going to take care of. You're not going to come back on reckoning day and say, hey, what happened to that cool sheep with the blue eyes? Oh, sorry, the wolves got that one. I lost that one. Or what happened to that black furred sheep, I, uh, the black woolen sheep I gave you? Ah, oh, sorry, it got, broke out of the pen, it got lost, the wolves got it. No, Jesus said, every sheep in my care is safe. Every one. He's a shepherd. Do you think he could lose a sheep? That would make him a lousy shepherd, wouldn't it? He's the ultimate shepherd, and every sheep in his care is safe. And that's what Jesus says. On reckoning day, on the last day, I'm going to bring all my sheep back to the Father safe and sound. Number four, and this is a significant. Us being safe in the arms of Jesus is all on God. You notice it says, God will give me this, and I'll take care of that, and I'll take care of this, and God will do that. I'm not, my name's not in here anywhere. He's not saying, I'll take care of Steve if Steve accomplishes these five things. And if he doesn't, you're not so safe, Steve. Doesn't say that. It's all on him. Amen. The sending's on him. The savings on him and the securings on him. He takes responsibility for all of it. That's number four. Number five, and by the way, I'm thankful for that. Because if it was on me, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, right? All right, number five. The language leaves no room for misunderstanding. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. Here's what I mean by the language. Verse 47. I tell you the truth. These are the words of Jesus, okay? I tell you the truth. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I wonder if I can get that. I think I can get that. He who believes in me has everlasting life. Sometimes we make the Bible more difficult than it is. We think too hard. We overthink things. I want to help you not do that this morning. Everyone who believes in me, what? What's the word? has everlasting life. Okay. That word has is a lot different than might have someday, if you do these five things, or has for now, but might not have later. Notice he doesn't say, if you make it to the end, you'll have it. No, the idea is they have it now. Whoever believes in me has everlasting life, not will have. It's a done deal. They already have it. Has. And that word, everlasting life, that phrase, everlasting life. Okay, I tell you, we overthink things. So let's keep it simple. When does everlasting end? Right, it can't end. Because if it ended, it wouldn't be everlasting. So here's what I'm saying. Can, can I lose my salvation? Well, if you believe in Yeshua, you have everlasting life. It can't ever end. Because if it ends, it's not everlasting. So you can't lose it, because if you lose it, it ends. By definition, everlasting life means you can't lose it. We don't have to go any further. That's what the language means. You, you tracking with me? There's, there's a lot more, but I just wanted to help keep it, keep it simple. Because I like the KISS principle. And I'm thankful it's named after me. 
Keep it simple, Steve. <laughs> so we were reading in chapter 6. We go forward four more chapters, and Jesus talks about it again. One of the things about this everlasting life thing, there are several passages of Scripture, I'm sharing with you several, where Jesus makes it a point to teach his disciples that they're safe, they're secure in his arms, they won't be lost. Several passages. And then several passages in the epistles. But there's not one passage anywhere in the Bible that says you're not safe. So then how could there be two positions? Those who think you are and those who think you aren't. I'll tell you how. A couple of reasons. There are some passages of Scripture that you could interpret to mean that you're not safe. But they don't say that. You have to go through some thinking about it to come to that conclusion. Whereas these require no thinking. My point is, there's several passages that say you're safe and none that say you're not, though there's a couple that you can make to say that if you want to. But why would you do that in the light of the several that are plain and obvious? That's one reason. The other reason, and the one I think that leads to the twisting of the other, or the confusion at least, is because we see people who claim to follow the Lord and then walk away. And we can't imagine somebody that turns their back on God and starts living like the devil is actually right with Jesus. We can't imagine that. So we just have to then assume that they were saved when they were walking with God. Now that they're not walking with God, they're not saved anymore. But we can't assume that because that flies in the face of what the Scripture plainly says. So there has to be another explanation, which I'll talk about in a bit. John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he goes on to say, I and my Father, we are one. Three verses I just read to you. Five times Jesus makes the point that we're safe in his Father's arms. Five times in the three verses back to back. Why would he do that? Isn't once enough? I'm told, and I believe, that when something's really vital, you repeat it. So twice would be enough. Five times. Let me go through them. First one. I give them eternal life. When does eternal end? Never. So there's the first time he says it, four chapters later. I give them life that will never end. Then right after that he says, they shall never perish. Why did he say that? He just said it. He said it again to make sure you understood exactly what he meant. Just in case there's somebody out there that wants to think it means something different. He says it twice, two different ways, which is a very Jewish way of communicating in the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, it's called parallelism. And you say the same thing two different ways. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. When does never end? <laughs> never. Thirdly, he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. So imagine Jesus is up here, and he's the God of the universe with all power and all might, and this is the deed to your soul. And he says, I got your back. You're safe. How could you now be unsafe? Who could possibly pry you out of his hand? He's the God of the universe. He has all power and all might. Imagine an infant, one that just barely learns how to flip over. 
you got the pacifier. And if the infant can wrestle it out of your hand, she gets it. It, it. It's no contest. She can't even reach you. Can you reach your soul up in heaven's hand? No. It, it's not even in your care. Y you don't even know how to get there to get it. Jesus says, no one can snatch it out of my hand. Then he says, my father has given them to me. That would be number four. You want to be able to undo what God has done? Go ahead, try, but you can't. And then fifthly, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Same idea. What I'm trying to tell you, what Jesus is trying to tell us, over and over and over and over and over, we are safe in his care. We are safe in his arms. Just like John 6, Jesus and his Father are responsible for keeping us. They're the ones capable. They're the ones that do the sending, the shepherding, and the securing. It's all on them, them, them. That would be enough. But like I said, when the Bible repeats something, it wants to hammer it home. The Apostle Paul, listen to what he said. This is the Ganga, by the way. You know, Jesus repeated himself just to make sure everybody understood him with saying the same thing two or three different times. Paul went really philosophical. Listen to what he wrote. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm in Romans chapter 8. Shall trouble or hardship, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I just, I'm just going to have to circle that, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you lose your salvation? Paul just said, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And I know, based on discussions I've had in the past, people will come up to me and say, Steve, yeah, but what about, is there anything Paul didn't cover? <laughs> Height, depth, things past, things present, things to come, or anything else in all of creation. It leaves no room for yeah, but. There are no yeah, buts. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. He, he made it as clear as he could possibly Make it. Nothing in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. Now just to make this a little clearer, let me answer that question. <laughs> the yeah, but. What about the person who gets saved and then lives a sinful life? Well, when you try to synthesize Bible information... You have to make it all fit without one piece contradicting another piece. We already know that if you're walking with Jesus, for reals, if you're one of his lambs, sheep, you can't be unsaved. We already know that. So whatever we decide about people who live a sinful life, it can't contradict what we already know to be fact. So losing their salvation can't be on the table. There has to be another explanation. What about a person who gets saved and then lives a sinful life? Let me answer that question with a question. 
which is also a very Jewish thing to do. I'm sure Plato and Socrates and those guys learned it from the Jewish people. Here's my question. If a person claims to follow God, but is living like the devil, who's that person really following? To illustrate the point, if we could kill the lights, I've got a video I'd like to show you. Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Kat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. <laughs> did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? <laughs> because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? Well, you shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Well, yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, but, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Well, yes. let's go. Now's your no. chance to talk to no. her. I want you to but forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't understand. Hey! hey! Laura, hi. It's been hi. like two wow. weeks since we've had coffee. Yeah. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh-huh. All right. Um, I guess I'll just um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Oh, okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. That's actually a verse in the Bible. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Lord means something. It means master, boss. When a Lord says to do something, you do it. You don't sit around and ask about it. You just do it. So what do you call somebody who won't do what their Lord says? They're not a disciple. That's not your Lord. You're calling him your Lord, but he's not your Lord. So what about a person who gets saved and then lives a sinful life? Listen to what 1 John 2, verses 3 through 4 say about this. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 1 John 5.18 We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps himself safe and the evil one cannot harm him. Okay, so first off it says, we know that we've come to know him. The proof is in the pudding. If we obey him, we're his. If we don't obey him, we're not. Then it says, anybody who says they know him and continues to sin is a liar. What do you mean continue? Don't we all sin? Yes, we all sin. 
The idea isn't that we stop sinning. There's a difference between sinning and continuing in sin or practicing sin. When somebody comes to faith in Jesus, do they change? Imagine you got a guy over here. He has a drinking problem, and he's a mean drunk. He's got a foul mouth. He's irresponsible, and he's abusive to his family. He cheats at work, has other people clock in for him early, clock out late, and he cheats on his taxes. He watches inappropriate stuff on TV, and he's out for number one. And then he comes to Jesus. Doesn't have another drink. Apologizes to his wife and kids for the mistreatment. Starts clocking in on time at work. No longer cheats on his taxes. Stops watching inappropriate stuff on TV. And everybody who knows him says, there's something different about you. By the way, true story. Same situation. Still drinks, still beats his wife and kids, still cheats at work, still cheats on his taxes, still watches inappropriate stuff on TV. Both of them claim to be followers of Jesus. Which one is? It's an obvious answer. The one who has changed. They both show up to church every Sunday. They both said the prayer, and they both got baptized in the tank. But one is obviously the real deal, and one is obviously not. That's what I mean by continuing in sin. The second guy continued in sin. The first guy didn't. Oh, yeah, he still sins. We all sin, but that's not the point. The point is the ongoing practice of sin, no change. One is evidence for the truth of your salvation. The other is not. So what about a person who is saved and then continues to live like the devil? Did they lose their salvation? No, you can't lose something you never had. This guy didn't change. He never got saved. We thought he did because he shows up to church on Sunday and got dunked in the tank. And those are what we look for. And no, that's what we need to be looking for. So he didn't lose his salvation when we finally found out who he really was. We just finally found out who he really was. The second question I'm often asked, what about the person who gets saved and then abandons the faith? I'm talking pastors who've been in the pulpit for over a decade. Next thing you know it, they're writing books about atheism. Certainly that man has lost his salvation. Listen to what the Bible says about that man. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have stayed with us. But their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. Paul, uh, John is saying the same thing. The fact that this guy went away from the faith is evidence that he never had the faith. Why do some pastors stay in the faith and some leave? Just like the other guy. We finally realize what they were. Like Judas Iscariot. Judas walked with Jesus. He was an apostle, for goodness sakes. Did miracles. Walked with the Lord for three years. Next thing you know, it, he's betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. Did Judas lose his salvation? Of course not. Judas was a con man from the get-go. He was never a true follower of Jesus. I don't know. Was he in it for the money, for the fame, for the power, for the thrill? 
Was he thinking on it? I don't know. I can't answer that. I can just tell you, he didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. He wasn't the real deal. You know, Peter stepped away for a while. He stepped right back. Judas went out and hung himself. So where do we come into all this? Well, for now, the words of the Scriptures are these. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Because obviously we can fool ourselves. These two guys, they were both told, hey, if you, you say the right words and get baptized, you're good to go. Go to church on Sunday, you're walking with Jesus, you're saved. Yet one of them was and one of them wasn't. I don't know you all who are in here or watching online where you really are with Jesus. And so the scriptures urge us to think on it. Am I the real deal? Am, have I lied to myself? Have I lied to the Lord? Was my commitment to Jesus for reals? Or was it just, you know, that's what I did at 13 because my mom told me to and I've been going to church ever since because that's kind of what I'm used to. Do you like dancing on the edge? Seeing how close to sin you can get because you like it there, because you don't figure you're quite stepping over? Or you're like, whoa, no way, no, 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 that's bad. Now, we all sin, but some of us, when we sin, we feel bad. And we ask God to forgive us and to give us the strength not to do it anymore. And we hate sin for what it does to our family and our friends and to us and how it makes us feel. And we, we hate it because God hates it. And because he told us not to do this thing, and we do that thing. Ugh, God, help me. What's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing it? Please give me the strength not to. Or you're dancing with the devil. Yeah, white boy can't dance, sorry. <laughs> you're safe in the arms of Jesus if you're really in the arms of Jesus. But you have to examine yourselves to make sure you are. And then the final verse, the icing on the cake, 1 John 5.13. John tells us why he write, wrote his epistle. These things I have written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now maybe you're here with us this morning and you're just, you know, you're checking into Jesus. You're thinking about him. You haven't made your decision yet. That's understandable. It's a process. You have to think it through and decide for yourself whether he's the Son of God, whether he died for your sins and rose again, and whether you're willing to follow him as your Lord. If I can help you make that decision, please do not hesitate to contact me. I'd be happy to sit down with you and talk to you about it. But I would urge you to make that decision. It's the only good decision to make. The others lead nowhere, and this one leads to eternal life. After church, the prayer room's going to be open. For those of you who maybe want to rededicate your hearts to the Lord, or maybe just get prayer for something else, please join me in prayer now. Lord God, thank you for showing us that we truly are safe in the arms of Jesus. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins and to save us and to secure for us a place in the heavens. For those, Lord, who are here this morning, 
Please open their eyes so that they might know their relationship with you, whether it's true or not. Please bless them and keep them. And make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. And please grant them your peace. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.